start with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. Thank you for another opportunity to open up and study your word and pray that you'd give us a hunger for your word, uh, a hunger to know you and know your son. And I pray that your spirit would be with us and open our hearts and minds to uh, understand your word, to uh, grasp its weightiness and uh, importance and that we would be taught and instructed uh, by uh, your spirit through your word and we thank you uh, for these things and pray that they'd all be to your glory and to the glory of your son as well in his name we pray amen all right if you remember last time we were beginning to look at the judgment of the woman coming to the, the end of the, the judgments. Uh, and first, just to go back a lo- little further, uh, of course, uh, we've been looking at the creation of the, the man and the woman and finding out what happens to the first humans now that God has created them as the, the very pinnacle of uh, his uh, creation. And he made both the man and the woman because humanity is not complete, is just, just a man. Uh, but uh, there must be a man and a woman uh, to bring it to completion so that they can be fruitful and multiply uh, and fill uh, the, the whole earth and uh, rule over it on God's behalf, uh, justly, uh, benevolently, uh, having a good, righteous rule as God would so that it would be a thriving uh, creation. Uh, but... Um, we also saw that uh, in God's creation of them, uh, he placed trees in the garden, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, And he commanded the man that he could eat from any of the trees uh, in in the garden, eating you may eat, uh, he he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, uh, you shall surely die, dying. Uh, you shall die. Uh, And that's because God uh, is very good uh, in his provision, and he is also good uh, and just in his prohibition. He he didn't withhold anything from them that they needed uh, or that they should uh, desire. But because he's God, uh, he uh, places uh, limits and boundaries uh, for his uh, creatures. It would be a good thing to, to obey but that raised the question uh, because uh, that section, that scene after the creation of the woman ended with their innocence uh, in the garden, uh, living in maritable, marital uh, bliss uh, with uh, one another uh, where uh, there was no antagonism or enmity with the beasts, uh, not with serpents or uh, birds or uh, any such thing. Uh, there was no enmity between them. There was no uh, pain in uh, childbirth, no, no great uh, pain in, in such things, uh, and there wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone hungry. It wouldn't have been such toil uh, to uh, eat as with the the judgments. Uh, but that tree raised the question: What 
is going to happen. Are they going to eat from it or are they going to obey? Uh, and in narratives, that's something to look out for. Look, look for unresolved uh, issues uh, or problems that are raised. That's kind of a big question. What's going to happen? Uh, and as we know, the serpent uh, came on uh, onto the stage. He entered the, the picture. Uh, and he was the very uh, shrewdest of all of the beasts. And might might even be good to translate it prudent uh, because, uh, as D.A. Carson and others have said, it's not inherently bad. It could be used for, for good or, or bad. But uh, he misused his uh, prudence, his cleverness to deceive uh, the woman. And so that the woman ate from the tree uh, and she also gave to her husband and had uh, welcomed him to join in her rebellion uh, against God. And so then we know what happened to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Will they eat from it? Yes, uh, they did eat from it. They did rebel. That raises a second question. What's going to happen now? Are they going to die? And that is where everything was, was building. And so now they're no longer innocent, but uh, they're guilty. Uh, they're now naked and ashamed because of their sin uh, in the guilt that has come upon them. Now they are ashamed and they try to uh, cover themselves, to hide uh, their nakedness, to hide their guilt and, and shame. Uh, but that doesn't work because pretty soon a God uh, enters the garden uh, calling for them and they run and hide in the trees because their coverings cannot uh, take away their guilt and shame. And then God uh, questioned the man uh, and the woman uh, and the man uh, finally admitted yes he ate from it but he uh, first blamed the woman explicitly and he implicitly blamed God. Uh, the woman for giving, giving him the fruit and God for giving him the woman. So ultimately he's blaming God. He's just not uh, quite courageous enough uh, or foolish enough maybe to uh, speak up and, and say it boldly. And that led back to the woman who of course uh, said that the serpent deceived her. Uh, but she did, she did eat. Uh, and that brought us to the judgments. Uh, where our question is going to start to be answered. Yes, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's going to happen next? Is God going to kill them? Uh, will they, will they uh, die in the day you eat of it? Dying, you will die. And so we have seen the judgment of the serpent, who is supposed to be subordinate to the man and the woman, but he rebelled uh, and misused his cleverness. Uh, and that brought us to the judgment of uh, the woman. Uh, and so far, uh, we've seen that her judgment differs from the judgments of the serpent and the man uh, in a couple respects. Uh, first, God does not give an explicit reason or basis for, uh, for her judgment, for her punishment. But uh, it's, still, it's still very clear that she she ate from the tree and she also gave some uh, to her husband and uh, had him uh, join her in her rebellion against God to be, be like God. 
And then secondly, uh, not only was there an explicit reason missing, but uh, most importantly, God does not pronounce a curse uh, in his judgment upon uh, the woman. Uh, and this was probably because, while she didn't instigate all of this, uh, the serpent did uh, from from the the outside. Uh, as I heard uh, Grant Horner, a professor at the Masters College, uh, he suggested that uh, because they were created good, uh, it seems that uh, that it, it really took uh, temptation coming from the outside, from the, the serpent that, uh, that uh, directed their attention, especially to the tree, and made them uh, dissatisfied with God's good provision uh, and his uh, to uh, think that his prohibition was unfair and that the consequences wouldn't be death but uh, would actually help them and make them like God. But she didn't instigate it and she does not seem to bear the same responsibility as her husband who was created first, who's the head and representative of humanity and uh, who uh, was explicitly given the charge uh, to uh, work and keep the garden. So he is primarily responsible and the serpent instigated it all. Uh, and then there's kind of the negatively you know, what, what she didn't do. Uh, but positively, uh, she was deceived by the serpent. The man was not deceived. Uh, his wife welcomed him to join in. She encouraged him. She maybe even enticed him a bit. But she did not deceive him. Uh, he uh, makes it sound like he pretty much just took it in eight, went, went right along with her plan. But she still knowingly and willfully rebelled against God. And so God does uh, punish her. And the first punishment targeted her created role uh, as the man's helper, uh, as his perfect counterpart or complement. Uh, she was to uh, complete him. Uh, together they were uh, complete uh, and they could uh, fill uh, fill the whole, whole earth. Uh, and so targeting her created role as the man's helper because she uh, disobeyed uh, and rebelled against uh, her role by uh, encouraging her husband to rebel with her against God instead of helping him, bringing upon them uh, sin and guilt and death instead of blessing. Uh, God said uh, to the woman in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your painful toil in childbearing. In hard labor you shall give birth to children. Uh, and there are a couple word plays here just tying it to her created role and to her uh, her sin, uh, that now she's going to suffer difficulty, strenuous, painful uh, exertion in childbearing. Uh, in these uh, word plays, uh, first of all, uh, well, because she rebelled against God and she ate from the ets, the tree, the ets, that God forbid, uh, and she encouraged her husband to join in her rebellion and to eat from the of uh, the tree with her, uh, 
God said, uh, and also multiplying, he was going to multiply their, their offspring and multiply them. Uh, he now says, literally, multiplying, I will multiply your itzavon, your painful toil, uh, and your childbearing in etsev, in hard labor, you shall give birth to children. And so she ate from the tree and she gave to her husband in rebellion against God in her role as a helper. She ate from the ets. And so now instead of a blessing, instead of multiplying her offspring, now he's going to uh, multiply her etsavon, uh, your painful toil and your childbearing in etsev, hard labor you shall give birth to children. Uh, those two words sound like uh, very similar to ets, a uh, tree, and the, the first two letters are spelled the same way uh, too. Itzavon, uh, uh, painful toil as we said, or toil, or uh, travail would, would be a, a good way to uh, put it, show the strenuous, hard, painful exertion, uh, and often with uh, childbearing. And so uh, this echoes back both to to the blessing uh, that he's going to multiply and her role in multiplication and her sin of eating from the ets, the tree, and uh, from giving uh, to her husband from the ets. And so uh, God does not fully remove uh, his blessing, but uh, he, it is now uh, painful and difficult uh, and very uh, hard uh, as a, a reminder uh, of her uh, sin. And so the punishment fits uh, the crime as her role. And now we will be looking at her second uh, and last punishment. And this targets her relationship with her husband. Uh, and because she, uh, instead of being a helper to him, she encouraged him uh, to uh, to eat from the, the tree, to do the one thing that God told him not to do. Otherwise, uh, he would uh, die. And uh, now uh, there will be conflict between her and her husband. Uh, and this will culminate uh, in her being uh, subdued by her husband, just as the serpent will ultimately be subdued by the woman and her offspring, uh, uh, humanity. Or at least a chosen humanity as, as we keep reading. And so uh, now uh, we're going to see uh, two uh, contrasting actions uh, in this conflict between the woman and the man. Uh, first, uh, the woman, uh, God uh, says, uh, your desire shall be for your husband. Then secondly, and he shall rule over you. Uh, and so uh, in the conflict, uh, we see her action, her, her desire, your di desire shall be for your husband, uh, and he shall rule over you. And their conflict back and forth, very much like with the serpent, the woman, and their offspring. And so now let's read... Beginning in verse 6. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree, Adi, adds, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain, your painful toil in childbearing. In pain, hard labor, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In, in painful toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam, and for his wife, garments of skins, and clothed them. And so now, verse 16. Uh, in this conflict with her husband, uh, first, we see uh, the woman's part in the conflict, her, her desire for her husband. So, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your painful toil in childbearing. In hard labor, you shall give birth to children. Uh, your desire shall be for your husband. 
uh, and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband. Uh, and this is arising uh, because she rebelled against her created role uh, and sinned against God. Uh, she sinned against her husband, uh, brought him uh, into it. And so now God says, your desire shall be for your husband. But what does this mean? Uh, your desire shall be for your husband. Is, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing uh, that's, uh, that's going on? Uh, and as uh, D.A. Carson uh, has said, well, actually when we start here, it's somewhat ambiguous. What does it mean? Is this a good thing or is it bad? It's a judgment, but uh, it sounds like uh, when you read, uh, your desire shall be for your husband. Uh, you, you might think in some contexts, uh, a wife having desire for her husband, that's not a bad thing. That, that's a good thing. Uh, she likes him. She loves him. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're a pair. Uh, she uh, has, has uh, desire. She's uh, attracted and delights uh, in, her, in her husband. But uh, it's, it's kind of ambiguous because it's a judgment. You, you don't expect it to be all that good. And there was conflict between the, the serpent and the woman and her offspring. Uh, there would be kind of conflict between the man and the, the ground. And uh, just think about God's judgment of the serpent. That was kind of ambiguous uh, too at first. If, if we uh, stop in Genesis 3 uh, with the judgments, uh, it's somewhat ambiguous. Uh, verse 14, uh, the Lord God said to the serpent, uh, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Uh, and it starts uh, targeting his role because he rebelled against that. He used his uh, prudence, his cleverness uh, for evil instead of uh, good. Uh, and here, uh, kind of sounds like, it, well, is this just, is this just uh, serpents or serpents and beasts cursed? And what about if we keep reading uh, verse 15? I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, he, uh, her offspring, shall bruise, strike you on the head and you shall strike him on the heel. Is this conflict? Is it just between, uh, well, beasts and humanity, but then especially serpents and, and humanity? But at the same time, uh, Moses' audience would probably be like, and yet, this is a talking serpent. This is unusual. This is very odd. And uh, he's very malevolent. Uh, he's, uh, he's truly evil. Uh, he uh, sets himself in opposition against God and God's rule. Uh, serpents, really? Uh, there, there's something more going on here. But uh, as you keep reading, uh, because Moses, uh, he does this to, to raise questions uh, in the reader's mind. He leaves a bit of uh, ambiguity. Uh, ambiguity means uh, there might be a little different options. It could mean different uh, different things. It's a little hard to tell. It's kind of vague and fuzzy. But I think, uh, as D. Carson says, I think Moses intentionally leaves it ambiguous uh, because it raises questions that he's going to begin answering uh, pretty soon. 
in fact, uh, you have to keep reading. Uh, once he gets Cain, Abel, and Seth, and you see that, uh, oh, I've gotten another offspring uh, with Seth uh, in place of Abel because Cain killed him. Oh, uh, Abel was the offspring of the woman, not Cain. Cain is cursed, just like the serpent. Uh, he's in league with him. He's in league with sin and evil and death and, and deceit. Uh, but not Abel. Uh, Abel is righteous. He, he gave God a, a true sacrifice because he truly uh, worshipped and honored God. And uh, just like Seth and uh, his son, they, they called upon uh, God. And yet at the same time, when you read uh, after the flood account with uh, Noah, when they come off the ship and God's making his covenant, and uh, in chapter 9, uh, God uh, says... Or it says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, that sounds like creation. There, there's a new creation now that the water has, has receded, uh, like in the creation of old. But then he says something that wasn't said in the creation account. Uh, the animals ate vegetation. Uh, they, they were no threat to Adam in the garden. Uh, none what, whatsoever. Uh, they ate vegetation, uh, just like the, the man and the woman. Uh, but God says, uh, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Then just a little bit later he says, uh, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so now he says, uh, the fear and dread of you will be upon the beasts and the birds uh, and all of the creatures uh, and uh, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it because they're made in the image of God. Well, now, as Matthew says, the, their existence with the creation and with the animals that they're over seems a bit uneasy and precarious. Uh, now, uh, there's uh, biting and clawing and uh, gnashing and mauling and uh, and uh, even uh, kicking uh, a kick by an animal like a, a horse can uh, can be uh, truly uh, harmful uh, and catastrophic, uh, and even result in de death. And they they buck and they, they don't quite quite get along. And even Isaiah pictures uh, the animals in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, where the lion will eat straw like the ox, and uh, the the child will stick his hand like in the the adder's den. For they, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. It goes back to, to the original creation. Now they're, they're tame and harmless, uh, and they uh, don't do any harm. And so you see that there is conflict with the beasts. There is conflict with the serpents. Isaiah says, and the serpent shall still eat dust, uh, uh, unlike the, the other uh, animals, just because it's, uh, it's humiliated above all the, the rest. And so it seems that that Moses uh, intentionally leaves it ambiguous and he, he maybe even plays off as he develops the, the themes a little more 
where uh, where he, he's developing it sort of both ways. Uh, yeah, the, the, the beasts uh, are in rebellion and the serpents, and they are deadly and dangerous to man. That's clearly obvious. The, the Hebrews would recognize that. Uh, the venom of a serpent uh, can kill an individual. It can kill a, a child. Uh, and so uh, they're very dangerous, but uh, that is a picture of the uh, the, the the greater uh, enmity and hostility uh, with uh, the uh, spiritual conflict uh, with the, the one who appeared as a serpent in the form of a serpent uh, to the woman. Uh, and so you see with uh, Cain, Seth, and Abel, uh, and all the way throughout, uh, Shem, Ham, uh, Ham's son, Canaan, who's, who's cursed, uh, that uh, Moses uh, sort, of de sort of develops it both ways. And I think we see the same thing with uh, the woman. Uh, in verse uh, 16, uh, to the woman, uh, he said, I will greatly multiply your painful toil in childbearing. In hard labor you shall give birth to children. Uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Uh, first, this word desire, uh, teshuka. Uh, it, it doesn't uh, make total sense, and it raises questions uh, in the, the reader's mind. Uh, in this word, uh, it appears only three times in the uh, Hebrew Bible. Uh, it appears uh, twice in Genesis and once in the Song of Solomon. Uh, and we won't really go into the Song of Solomon, but just let me read from uh, chapter 7, verse 10, uh, where Song of Solomon, it's all about, uh, or also called the, the uh, Song of Songs. Uh, it's about the uh, Shulamite uh, who uh, has her uh, beloved, uh, usually uh, thought to be uh, King uh, Solomon. Uh, and it's about their love and their growing relationship, uh, ultimately uh, leading uh, through uh, courtship, engagement, uh, marriage. Uh, and so uh, in verse 10 of chapter 7, uh, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire, Teshuka, is for me. I am my beloved's and his desire, Teshuka, is for me. And so, obviously, uh, if we were to also read in the, the further context, but that's really not. This is her beloved. She, she loves him, and uh, he, uh, his desire is for her. His, his affection uh, is for uh, her. Uh, this is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a romantic uh, uh, narrative about, uh, about uh, Solomon and the, the Shulamite that uh, ends in uh, marriage and uh, her being uh, his uh, his wife, and so that's obviously good. Uh, but what about what about with uh, the woman uh, here back in uh, the garden? Well, uh, we're going to see uh, that the only other usage is in chapter four, outside the garden, uh, in verse seven, just a little bit uh, later. And we're going to see that the woman's desire is a negative thing, uh, is not a good one. Uh, First off, uh, it's a judgment context on which we're uh, reading this. Uh, God is judging the woman and punishing her for her uh, rebellion against uh, her her husband. And so uh, it's not a good thing. 
uh, and uh, he introduces uh, discord and conflict uh, between her and her husband. And we see this with the serpent and the woman and their offspring uh, and with the man in the ground, uh, the, the woman and her, her offspring and the serpent uh, striking one another at enmity and hostility uh, with one another, uh, resulting in his eventual uh, demise and defeat, uh, subjugating him uh, back uh, back uh, to the position of the, the very lowest of the, the beasts because he, he rose up against God's image bearers. Uh, and then with the man, uh, ultimately he's going to come to the ground. It's going to raise up thorns and thistles and eventually he's going to go back to it and die. He, he will eat, but eventually he's going to die. And uh, this too is a judgment context and there's conflict uh, going on here. And then uh, thirdly, in chapter 4, uh, verse 7, uh, with uh, Cain and Abel, uh, in, uh, let's begin in verse uh, 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, uh, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Well, does that sound familiar? Its desire, sin's desire, uh, is for you, but you must rule over it. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Uh, the exact same uh, words. Uh, teshuka, desire. Uh, mashal, uh, rule. Uh, and we see the, the very same parallels uh, between them. Uh, but in this case, uh, it's not a judgment, uh, but uh, Cain is angry and he's about to sin and murder uh, his brother. And so God is exhorting him and warning him. Uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It, it's ready to pounce uh, upon him uh, and get him. Uh, it's the, 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 the evil desires uh, of his uh, heart, uh, but he hasn't yet shed his blood. Uh, so it's crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And here, uh, what does desire mean? Is this a good thing that sin's desire is for uh, Cain? No. Uh, sin wants to control Cain. Uh, it wants Cain uh, to obey its will. Uh, it wants Cain to obey its uh, evil uh, desires. And really, I mean, the, the sin, the the. Uh, de desires are in Cain's own heart. This is an internal conflict going on. But the desire is one uh, 
of control and as Matthew says, mastery over Cain to bring him uh, under its thumb and to, to make Cain do what sin uh, wants him uh, to do. Uh, but God exhorts Cain, uh, its desires for you, but you must rule over it. Uh, Cain must not give in to uh, the evil desire of sin, uh, wanting him uh, to obey it and to sin, uh, and to uh, kill and shed the blood of his uh, brother. Uh, rather, uh, he must control sin. Uh, he must uh dominate and overcome a sin's uh, attempt uh, to uh, uh, to really uh, control him and bring about his downfall. It's, it, the desire is for ill. Uh, but uh, as we will see, uh, the here uh, God is exhorting Cain because he hasn't sinned yet. This isn't a judgment account. Uh, with the woman, uh, he is, he's addressing the woman who's now in the place of sin, or sins in her place, the one with, with desire, but he's addressing her, not the man, and he's not he's not exhorting anyone uh, to uh, do anything, but saying, this is the judgment, this is the, the punishment uh, that is coming upon you. So uh, Matthew says uh, in chapter 4, sin is like an animal that when stirred up will assault Cain. It desires to overcome Cain, but the challenge God puts to Cain is to exercise rule or mastery over that unruly desire. Uh, and he says, uh, to paraphrase, if we take seriously these parallels uh, between the, the two, judgment of the woman and God's exhortation to Cain, uh, this recommends that uh, God's punishment for the woman also uh, describes a struggle for mastery between uh, the sexes, between husband and wife. It's a conflict uh, that's going on here. And so uh, the woman, uh, she was created to be a helper for the man uh, so that uh, together uh, they could be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it to uh, enjoy the fullness of God's provision uh, in blessing and presence uh, forever and ever and and ever uh, so long as they uh, depended upon God and uh, trusted uh, in in him and were satisfied with uh, the very good provision that he gave uh, them but uh, she uh, instead rebelled uh, she took of the tree and also gave to her husband and that was really a desire uh, if you remember uh, the ultimate one was the ultimate lie you shall be like God knowing good and evil she wanted to be just like God she wanted to be God herself uh, she wanted uh, not for God to be God but for her to be God uh, her to be the ruler over the universe her to determine uh, what is true uh, what is just and, and right and good and uh, beautiful. Instead of listening to God, she would be God herself. Uh, and she also wanted her husband to join in her uh, rebellion, uh, to, uh, to become, uh, to listen to her rather than uh, to God, as if she knew better than God. 
Uh, don't listen to God. Don't listen to his word. Uh, listen to the voice of your wife. Uh, take of the fruit of the tree. Uh, and to, to join her uh, in her uh, rebellion. And so uh, if you think about it, as we've talked before, as I've heard uh, D.A. Carson talk about, when everyone wants to be God and humanity rebels, the serpent rebels, the woman rebels, the man rebels, uh, it leads to conflict and chaos uh, in uh, the creation. Uh, she doesn't want to help her husband. Uh, and uh, the, the husband, you know, they, they, they want to exert their, their own wills. Uh, they want people to serve them. Uh, they want to be uh, their conception of God. They want to rule. They want to determine what's true, good, and beautiful and have, have everyone uh, agree with them. Uh, let, uh, let them uh, decide and do what's right in their own eyes. And uh, this is where all conflict comes in creation, uh, between beasts and serpent and man, uh, between wives and husbands, uh, between uh, men, workers of the ground and in the, uh, the ground. It's, uh, it's punishment, a penalty that God brought about, but it's the result of, of rebellion. Uh, instead, of, uh, instead of living under God's good rule, uh, God basically gives them their wish, okay. Let your will be, be done. And uh, you have conflict everywhere. So now that we've seen the woman's uh, desire, uh, it's for the man's ill. It's uh, to uh, control him, uh, very much like sin's desire for, for Cain. Now uh, let's look at the man's rule over his wife. So verse 16 again. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And now, there's a lot of discussion about uh, the nature of this uh, rule. Uh, and because uh, the uh, man, uh, we, we know from uh, before that uh, he was uh, the head of humanity. Uh, he was uh, a leader uh, in his family uh, to uh, to be a benevolent leader, uh, to, uh, to serve. Uh, scripture really teaches about leaders are truly the ones who, who serve. Uh, and he, he was uh, created first. Uh, God gave him the primary charge over the, uh, the garden to work and to keep it. Uh, he uh, gave the woman uh, to him to be his uh, helper. Uh, and he uh, names her uh, twice. Uh, and so we, we already know that well, he was the, the uh, head of the woman as far as uh, his family and humanity. Uh, and he was to, to have a, a leadership uh, role. And so what is this now? Is, is, is the rule, uh, is Gordon Wenham and Matthews and others say, uh, is the rule, is this just restoring uh, the, the, the leadership that, that he already had? Or is this something... Uh, that is domination, uh, something uh, that is uh, harsh, uh, something uh, something that is a downright a negative uh, between them. And typically, uh, it seems that most will either go with one or the other, and they set them against one another. I don't think uh, they are uh, entirely uh, opposed uh, that way. 
uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, and so, first, uh, yes, uh, the uh, God here uh, is uh, subjecting the woman because she rebelled uh, against the position and the responsibility that God gave her uh, and against her uh, husband, uh, causing, uh, encouraging him to rebel against God. God uh, is uh, subordinating her. Uh, he's uh, like the serpent, putting her back in her place uh, under the man uh, to, uh, to not rise up uh, in her rebellion and in this conflict and desire to, uh, to control uh, her husband. Uh, just as the serpent is ultimately subdued uh, by the woman and her offspring, hum humanity, a new humanity, uh, the woman is subdued by her husband and the husband by the ground and all uh, to God. Uh, he's putting the order of creation uh, back uh, in its right, uh, right place. Uh, because the serpent, who is supposed to be under uh, the humans, both of them rebelled against the woman created in God's image. Uh, the woman uh, who was created after her husband and to be a helper, uh, she, uh, she rebelled, uh, uh, stepped out of her place against God. Uh, and the man, who is to obey God, uh, and all of them, I mean, really, uh, he then rebelled. And so God now... Uh, brings about retributive justice. And uh, for her rebellion, now there's going to be this conflict throughout the ages, but her husband will subdue her. Uh, and I think we see that uh, just because of the judgment context against uh, the woman again. Uh, and also, uh, it's, it's primarily a judgment against the woman. Uh, and also, uh, we see this with, uh, in each of the, the judgments, with the serpent, with the woman, with the man. Uh, in the the ground, uh, and it brings about their uh, their defeat. Uh, and Matthew's uh, says uh, the uh, oh, and last thing I, I want to uh, mention is that also uh, Wenham uh, states this as well. Also, God says in verse seventeen to the man. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, uh, he shouldn't have listened to her when she's talking about uh, rebellion. He's primarily uh, responsible uh, and he uh, should not have listened to her uh, in uh, that case. And so uh, Matthew says, uh, the desire of the woman is her attempt to control her husband but she will fail because God has ordained that the man uh, exercise his leadership function. The force of the defeat is obscured somewhat by the rendering, and he will rule. Uh, the conjunction is better understood as, but he will rule. Uh, or you could say, uh, he, however, uh, will uh, rule uh, over you. In Hebrew, uh, they bring the contrast out more with uh, the order of words. Uh, we, we could even say, uh, your desire shall be for your husband. Uh, as for him, he shall rule over you. Uh, we can kind of uh, mimic it, but Hebrew has different word order. Uh, and so uh, the directive for rule or the command uh, is not given uh, to uh, the man, 
for that has already been given and is assured. Or, let me try that again. The directive for rule is not given to the man, for that has already been given and is assumed. Rather, uh, the issue of rule is found in God's directive toward the woman, who must succumb by divine edict. Uh, thus, the Lord affirms in the oracles of judgment the creation order. The serpent is subjected to the woman, the woman to the man, and all to the Lord. Uh, in the quotes, I believe it's from Dirk Kidner, I uh, could be mistaken. Uh, in those moments of life's greatest blessing, marriage and children, uh, the woman would serve most clearly the painful consequences of her uh, rebellion. And so uh, she uh, will be subjected despite her rebellion. Uh, however, uh, in Matthews, he, he pretty much stopped there. I think there's also an element, uh, however, where it's not just probably putting the order, which I, I believe that's absolutely clear, but uh, here, now it's in the context of conflict. Uh, just as with the serpent uh, and humanity, uh, the chosen humanity, her offspring, uh, just as with the man in the ground and him dying, uh, now uh, it's in the context of conflict in which uh, she will be uh, subdued. Uh, and so this isn't entirely a good thing. Uh, and before, although rule can be, it can be used in uh, good ways, as Matthews uh, says, it can be royal rule, uh, it can be people who have a, a stewardship, a responsibility, uh, and it can even be used for a despotic, tyrannical, harsh uh, rule. Uh, here, because uh, we have the context of conflict, yes, it's primarily a judgment against the woman, but the conflict itself uh, is not uh, good, uh, and the uh, it wasn't described uh, quite uh, as as rule uh, before, uh, and so I think this this shows the the conflict uh, between uh, husbands and wives that uh, that uh, often occurs uh, since the uh, the fall, uh, even. Uh, even sometimes in the, the very best of, of uh, marriages. Uh, and it's also important to recognize this is not uh, an exhortation uh, for men, as we already uh, stated. Uh, it's a judgment against a woman. He's not even addressing uh, the man. There's no exhortation for him uh, whatsoever. Uh, there are no exhortations uh, in the judgment of the serpent and the conflict between him and the woman. Uh, he's not telling them uh, to uh, have this conflict and do this. Uh, as uh, Matthew uh, says, uh, he's, not, he's not telling the woman, suffer uh, hard labor and painful toil and childbearing. No, it's, it's a punishment that, that comes upon her. He's not telling the man, uh, have the ground uh, bring up thorns and thistles for you, you know, so it's, it's hard and difficult for you. No, it's, it's something that's just going to happen. It's the, it's the punishment. So this isn't, uh, he's not telling them what to do. He's saying this is the punishment. There's going to be conflict. Uh, and uh, they will be uh, subdued. 
and this conflict extends far beyond uh, just uh, uh, the woman and her husband uh, in the garden uh, throughout all of history and uh, really cries out for the need of uh, redemption. Uh, just as God hasn't fully removed his blessing of uh, marriage uh, and of uh, childbearing, uh, those were things that were given before the fall. It's not, it's not a, a punishment uh, to uh, have the, the blessing of uh, children. Uh, that's, that's a blessing that goes all the way back to uh, creation where he blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill, fill the earth. Uh, children are always looked at as a blessing. Motherhood is always looked at as, uh, as a blessing. And fatherhood and uh, work. Uh, he, he was to work in the garden, uh, but now it becomes hard. Now it becomes difficult. And so you see both uh, hope that God hasn't fully removed his blessing, but now you see that it only comes through great difficulty and hardship and painful toil and travail because of their rebellion and sin uh, against God. They, they deserve the penalty of death, uh, but uh, God hasn't fully removed it. And there's the hope that one day, uh, he, will, he will preserve his blessing from generation to generation and uh, one day uh, restore it uh, through, through the, the, the Israelites uh, and through their, uh, their coming a righteous uh, king uh, that, uh, as we have seen so clearly, uh, culminates in the one who is uh, truly righteous, the one who truly fulfills all of God's uh, promises uh, and blessings and covenants. Uh, and that's uh, the very eternal Son of God, uh, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, he's the one uh, who redeems his uh, people and bears uh, their sins, uh, their penalty, their curse, uh, their death uh, on the cross. Uh, and through his burial and resurrection, uh, he, uh, he then lives. And they, they uh, when someone comes to trust in Christ and his finished, perfect work uh, on the, the cross, uh, bearing, uh, bearing uh, the very wrath uh, and penalty of condemnation and the wrath of God, uh, then uh, they uh, are considered to have died with him uh, and to be raised with him to, uh, to new life. And uh, one day uh, they will have uh, eternal life. And uh, really, uh, if we trust in Christ, we, we even have that now just not the, not the fullness. Uh, we're, we're waiting uh, for the fullness of that when he returns uh, or uh, when the resurrection comes. And then just briefly, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 15. Now, there are many places we could go to see what Scripture teaches about, uh, about uh, marriage and how husbands and wives should uh, really be uh, with uh, one another. Uh, for instance, we, we could go to, I think, uh, 1 Peter at the beginning of chapter 3 and uh, Paul elsewhere uh, writing to uh, Timothy. Uh, but uh, this uh, is uh, one of the 
the greatest texts ever uh, written uh, on this uh, very topic. And now first, I want to start in verse uh, 15 uh, because uh, we're going to see how this uh, develops and connects with uh, marriage. Uh, first, he's going to instruct them to uh, walk as wise and be filled with the Spirit. So verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. That's how they're to live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, uh, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so, uh, to be wise and to uh, walk, to live as those who are wise, uh, is to know the, the will of the Lord. It's to know the, the will of God. You, you have to know the will of God uh, and truly know it uh, uh, internally uh, and uh, having been uh, instructed by the Spirit through the Word uh, to know what true true wisdom is, how we, how we should live. And so, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. On being drunk on wine is not, uh, that's not wise. Uh, and being drunk on wine, uh, it intoxicates people. Uh, it controls uh, them. Uh, it influences uh, their behavior uh, so that they behave uh, in ways uh, in which they're not in control. But really the wine is in control of them. But in contrast, uh, his main point is uh, it's not so much the negative and do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but the very opposite, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, instead of being filled with wine uh, and being under its influence and control, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, be under the Spirit's influence and control. Uh, his uh, power. Uh, and what what uh, does it look like for someone to be filled uh, with the Spirit? What's involved uh, in that? Well, uh, in the next lines uh, through uh, verse 21, uh, he's going to elaborate and expand what it means to be filled with the, the Spirit and show us uh, some ways that, uh, that, uh, that that looks like someone who's under the control and power and influence of the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, it's those who are uh, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, uh, spiritual uh, songs about God, about uh, God's work uh, in salvation, his person person and work, people who are under the control and power and influence of the Spirit. Uh, that's, that's what they're there to do to, uh, in, in being uh, filled with the Spirit. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always uh, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, we're to give thanks if we're under 
of the control and power of the, the Spirit. Uh, people who, who are filled with the Spirit, they're, they're thankful. They're thankful people. Uh, they rejoice in uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, we're all uh, in one sense or another to submit uh, to one another. Yeah, he's addressing the church. Uh, there's uh, submission within the church to one another, uh, showing uh, more more uh, reverence uh, for others uh, than for ourselves, uh, serving others, uh, thinking thinking more of them uh, than we do of, of of ourselves. And so they're to submit, they're to serve. Uh, Christ uh, taught that. Uh, to uh, love uh, your brother. Uh, the, the greatest commandment, to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and the second, to love your neighbor as your uh, as yourself. Uh, we're to uh, serve one another. Just as he washed his uh, disciples' feet, uh, they were to uh, wash one another's feet, which was, uh, that was a service that they did uh, in those days for one another. Uh, walking around in sandals, their feet would be dirty and need to be cleaned. And so here he gets two wives and husbands, uh, literally building off of this, being filled with the Spirit, and expanding on it this command, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Literally, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And so uh, now he's uh, drawing and uh, giving giving an example. Uh, wives are to submit uh, to their husbands. And there's a mutual submission, but uh, there's a different sense of submission. There, there's a reason why he starts with uh, wives uh, here. Uh, to your husbands, as to the Lord. They're, they're to uh, submit uh, just as uh, just as they uh, submit to, uh, to Christ. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they regard him, uh, they uh, obey him. Although he's not saying if your husband tells you to sin, you know, uh, well, no, they're submit to Christ above, above all, and so it's it's not 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 an excuse for uh, for sinful behavior. Uh, and then he says, "For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior." Uh, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit into everything uh, to their husbands uh, and to be uh, head of course he's the uh, he's the leader over the the church he, he has responsibility uh, and care uh, for uh, the church uh, as our head and now uh, he exhorts husbands and notice uh, to husbands he doesn't say anything he doesn't say husbands make your wife submit husbands rule over your wives husbands it, Nothing of the sort. It's the exact opposite. It's about self-sacrificial service. That's what husbands are to do uh, in their uh, place of authority uh, and headship. Uh, they are to uh, serve, just as that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, head uh, and leader that Christ is. He's one that serves, uh, and God also. Just even in creation, we see that uh, He's not. Not like the pagan gods, he's not just looking to to serve him, serve himself, but he provides everything uh, for them uh, to 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 his glory, showing how 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 good and awesome uh, and great uh, he is. 
And so uh, he says, uh, husbands, love your wives. How are they to love their wives? Well, this is how they should love them. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water uh, with uh, the word. That's how they're to love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, Christ's love for the church uh, was so great that he gave up his own life. Uh, it's a self-sacrificial life that or love that cost him absolutely everything, even his own life uh, to, uh, to love uh, the church. And that's how husbands are to uh, love their wives self-sacrificially, uh, even at the, the very cost of themselves. Uh, even, even if it costs them their very own lives, that is how uh, they are to love uh, their wives. Uh, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, uh, set her apart, consecrate her, uh, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of the water uh, with the word, uh, making her righteous, uh, setting her uh, her apart for a holy uh, and good purpose and his purpose so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing uh, that she might be holy and without blemish. That at the very end of time, Christ's church, the assembly of the redeemed, uh, will be holy and blameless. Uh, and that uh, is why uh, he gave himself up for her, uh, for, for her good, that she would be holy and blameless uh, so that he might present the church to himself uh, in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing uh, that she might be holy and without blemish, uh, pure through and through and through. And now uh, he takes all of this about Christ's self-sacrificial love for the church uh, and he exhorts the husbands again, uh, drawing from it, uh, in the same way, also husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, so they should love the way that Christ did, and he adds, as their own bodies. And so not just self-sacrificially, but uh, as, as they love themselves. And uh, people uh, actually, they have a love for themselves and how they care for themselves. Uh, and he, he even goes on, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And so uh, he's saying, there, there's some, it, it, it's, not, uh, it's not like there's nothing in this for you. By loving your wife, uh, it's actually for your own good. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a good thing for you uh, as well. Uh, it's not, not to be taken negatively, uh, because he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Uh, by and large, people generally, uh, they don't seek their own evil and harm uh, in destruction. Uh, they will feed themselves, they will clothe themselves, they will uh, clean themselves. Uh, generally, that's how people work. It, it shows a self-love that, <laughs> that God has kind of uh, given to all of us, but with the fall, it becomes uh, corrupted and we become selfish. That at the very least, we, we care for our basic needs. We, we, uh, we generally try to, to do that. And so 
uh, they are to love their wives self-sacrificially as Christ uh, and as their very, very own bodies. Uh, as, they, as they care for themselves, they too should uh, care uh, for their own wives. Uh, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body uh, in, the, in the very church. Uh, Christ is the head, and we, uh, we belong uh, to him. And so he keeps going back to Christ. This is the perfect example of love. This is the perfect example of how husbands should love their wives, just as Christ did the church. Uh, even as Christ did, self-sacrificially, uh, and as the church regarding it even in his own body, because uh, when we trust in Christ, uh, we're united to him. We, we belong to him. We're identified uh, with him. So his death is our death, and his life is uh, our life. Uh, and then uh, to close, uh, he says, uh, therefore, quoting from Genesis, uh, the creation account with the woman, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this shows uh, she's his own body, uh, to be regarded as his own body. Uh, they are one, and he's to love her like that. But he goes beyond and says, This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so even drawing from this, he's saying, wow, look, you look at marriage all the way back at the beginning. And now we see Christ in the church uh, united with his people one day in glory. Uh, and God united uh, with his people to live in his presence and to enjoy uh, his provision uh, forevermore with a redeemed uh, humanity. And so uh, I just wanted to show that uh, not just look at the conflict, uh, but also to see uh, how uh, husbands and wives are to love and serve and to uh, submit uh, to one another uh, in their, uh, their own uh, ways. So uh, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I Thank you uh, for your word. And thank you for uh, teaching us and instructing us uh, so that we might understand uh, the consequences of sin, uh, the consequences of the fall and the rebellion of the man and the woman uh, against you, uh, your very first uh, creation. Uh, but uh, we, although uh, it brings no uh, joy and delight to see how paradise was lost and how uh, childbirth and marriage became uh, things that are still a blessing but are now also filled with pain uh, and hardship and conflict, uh, we do thank you that uh, you also uh, gave hope, uh, and through the woman, you have uh, preserved your blessing through her chosen offspring uh, and have brought about a savior and a redeemer and a prophet and priest and king uh, who can represent us uh, as 
of the very head and representative of a new humanity. And we thank you for your son and we thank you for the salvation that's found uh, only in him. And pray that uh, you grant that our trust and hope would be in him and in his finished work alone. Uh, we thank you for your son and thank you for all of these things. And, uh, pray uh, in his name. Amen.